Hey folks, I'm Kathy Parker with Beyond the Ball Field. This is not your typical sports show. We won't be talking X's and O's, but we will be talking about raising your family in the sports-crazed world. Let's not only survive sports, but let's learn to thrive on and off the field. So please, join us as we look at life beyond the ball field. Today on Beyond the Ball Field, we're going to have our second series with Susan Hope. Now, I met Susan by talking to her over the phone. We had something in common. We were football moms. Now, other than that, we were the same age, but our backgrounds were totally different because of where we were raised. We were as far away as you could get as far as in direction. She was at the tip of Alaska, and I was living at the edge of Florida in Jacksonville. But we did share several bonds, the love for our children, um, wanting the best for them, wanting to help them through this crazy sport of football. As I got to know Susan, talking with her for many, many hours over the phone, it was a while before I met her in person, and I could not wait. But one of the things that stood out so was that her surroundings were so much different than mine, which caused them to rely so much on each other, so much on their faith, so much on their land, because that's what they lived off the land, sea, and the air. I had no clue other than growing up on a farm, but also able the ability to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I wanted, um, what it was like to live in a, a society where you had to uh, be dependent dependent on each other, dependent of what God had given you, dependent on hard work and what it would bring. And if you didn't have a great welling season, what that meant, or if you didn't have fowl and fish to be able to feed your family, how dire that was going to be. So getting to know Susan and learning about their Inupiat values, values that they live by, values that have helped her people survive for many, many generations, and being able to pass that down to their children and their children's children. What a phenomenal opportunity it was for me to learn from someone that was the same age as me, but someone who had so many more experiences um, than I had had, so many different experiences that I had had. I was working with Susan, trying to give them the gift of a football field, and Susan was giving me so much more than I could have ever imagined. So I hope you enjoyed this second series with my dear friend from Barrow, Alaska, Susan Hope. Another one of the Inupit values, sharing. That's one of them. And, and with you being, like you said, a climate that is so harsh in an environment that you really could not survive if if you did not work together and you did not help one another out. It is right, and it's not a socialist society. It's not like that. It's because we do believe in capitalism. We do believe in that. What when a man does a hard work, you know, uh, or a woman does a hard work, then you know that improves her life or his life, and and we believe in that. But we also believe in sharing, especially within your family, that, you know, before even the church helps somebody, it should be family helping family. 
Mm. There should be sharing going on before somebody else has to step in and help. And there's a discrepancy. There's like a, a disconnect when uh, someone has family. Now, we have families, too, that, you know, we try to train them and teach them and they, they want to do their own thing. And then they go through poverty and lack because they, they didn't come under some sort of apprenticeship to learn how to be successful. And so we, we have that here, you know, too. But the reality is, is that family is expected to provide and share there and, and even and we train them at a really young age because I think the older you get the harder it is so when a young man goes out and catches his first caribou he's expected to give that whole caribou away to an elder if they catch their first seal they're expected to give that first seal whatever their first harvest is they give it all away they don't keep anything. Then, except the whale, that one they, but we do continue. Every whaling captain gives um, whale to everyone that comes to their house to eat. Wow. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're in your bath or if you're not. I mean, it doesn't matter. And 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 then you're, you're still putting some away in the underground cellars and you're still saving enough for your the crews that helped you. So they break it down and it's very organized. But the attitude of sharing is that and it is very hard work. I mean, it's very hard work. The, the, the weather can be cold while you're out there and you're cutting. Your hands can get blisters from, you know, working on so much meat that has to be put away and breaking everything down into smaller sections. And that's a lot of hard work. And so at a really young age, we teach our young people to participate in that and to to learn that and what is the added benefit the added benefit is there's a every time every time it's almost like jobs you know it's it's kind of like if you were in a recession and then someone opened up a plant and there was a whole bunch of jobs available everybody would be happy to go to work mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what our whaling is. It's that our freezers get empty, our 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 underground freezers get empty. You know, we start. Um, we're almost become in a recession where we're like, oh no, what are we gonna do? And then we catch a whale, and then everyone is put to work, and they're just happy to go to work because their freezers are gonna be full again. Mm, I love it. You know and. And there's that celebration that, and there is, I mean, just as much as you, there's, there's jobs where people have that economy and they're working um, to put food on the table. Us too, we're working to put food on our table, but it's, it's not, um, you know, we still need cash for, for, for going, um, getting gas and purchasing a boat, but we're still making boats out of um, bearded seal skin. So talk about that a little bit. Um, I know that's for the spring whaling. Talk about what that looks like and then what happens when you do catch a whale. How do you get it ashore? Oh, okay. So 
before we do our spring whale, in order to prepare for the boat, it's really in the summer prior. Bearded seals are used for um, creating the umeak, the 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 whaling boat, um, the open boat, there's about seven to 10, depending on the size, because that boat can fit up to 10 people in that boat. And so it's, um, the bearded seal is um, harvested and then it's put away and prepared um, so that it becomes waterproof. Um, it's very oily. And so, but that's all part of that waterproof process. And then spring, it's sewn together. Like I want to say January, February, Jen, where we, we begin to start sewing our boats together. But in order to sew, the, the tendons of a caribou are hunted. It takes about 40 of those legs, those caribou legs, to weave, to braid um, 100 feet strands of thread from the tendons of the caribou and each um, about a hundred feet sews across one way um, of the of the bow of the boat um, so we need several of those um, 100 feet sections to finish sewing that boat and then it's tied onto covering the frame of the wooden frame of a boat and then it's dried out in the cold winter where the sun starts coming out and hits all of that skin um, to bleach it white and then by April we begin to do our spring whaling and there's usually a sheets of ice that are out there on the Arctic Ocean and where um the crew, weighing crews go out to the edge of the ice where there, the open water is out there. And it could be, you know, 10 to 20 to 40 miles out. Um, and they begin to harvest and hunt the um, whales. And then once they have harpooned one and the other, it takes about five other boats to help them bring the whale in um, and then onto the uh, top of the ice and then it's um, cut up and broken down and given out to the crews, the, the whaling crews that have helped them. And then they bring it all back to the community at the whaling captain's house. They serve the next day, the whole community. We got about, about 5,000 people here. And so they're prepared to serve the whole community, and then this fresh whale that everyone has been waiting for since, you know, the last time they harvested a whale. And so it's this very special event, and it is a delicacy, and many families are learning how to use different ingredients to cook it in different ways, and that's exciting. Okay, so I have tasted it boiled. What is the name for that when you boil it? Oh, okay. So when you boil it, it becomes unalik. Unalik, yeah. Unalik. So unalik is when it's fresh and boiled. And then when it's um when it's frozen um and raw, it's like sushi and we call that skin maktak. Maktak. I've had that. And huh? then I and also then, have had it pickled. 
Right. So you can have the unalik. Then when it's cooked, can be pickled. And um, and because it, it the brine has vinegar in it, it really does cut the oil so that it's not so rich. And and it makes it, you know, enjoyable to eat when, when you're not used to eating that much richness. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like olive oil. You know, it's not like cooking oil. It's not. That's why when you said they put it on everything, it would be the same as putting olive oil on, you know, your food or your salad or you. There is even delicacies where a lot um you, you have to understand we have no trees. So a lot of the food that we end up developing wasn't the kind of food that you necessarily cooked. Mm-hmm. So. So a lot of our recipes, our traditional recipes, could be the kind that you ferment, or it could be the kind that you eat frozen. Um, so, so it's a foreign concept, <laughs> and I even myself do not realize how foreign it is until I have people over and I put a big spread of food out on the table, and they look at me and they say. Nothing is cooked on this table, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and we we dry we dry food, um, like we will dry the fish, mm-hmm. and then we can then put that fish in oil, seal oil or whale oil, and then that preserves it so it doesn't get freeze burnt, mm-hmm. and it just comes out and it doesn't get moldy because it's been preserved in oil and so so a lot of those things that we do are for necessity for um to survive but at the same time you know it can be very good like the bearded seal the casings on the outside of the bearded seal intestine that when you cook that it's just like calamari and do you fry it like calamari I just boil, well, I boil it. You could probably fry it, but I just do a quick flash boil, and then I eat that with seal oil. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. And, Susan, the thing about um, the people in, in, in the North Slope is they are so resourceful. They don't throw away anything. Uh, you were talking about the bearded seal using the skin to make the boats that catch the whale, and you sew them together by using the caribou um, tendons. It's just amazing how resourceful uh, your culture is. So no and, wonder you it, survived so many <laughs> thousands of years without having to depend on on grocery stores and those kind of things. You're probably the only people group that would survive if everything was shut down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I only laugh because um, my nephew, he just said he's been going out and into this, driving off to this one river that's not too far away from Barrow. And he, he goes out there and takes a day trip to check on his fishnets. And he's got about five of them out there. And from this little river that he goes to, you know, he gets about 500 fish a day. Wow. Does he, and then yes. sells, sells them? Does he sell No, them? he doesn't. That's the thing is we don't sell. 
we don't sell. We don't sell the whale. We don't sell seal. We don't sell walrus. And, you know, but what we do do is barter. Okay. Trade. So, like, for instance, I, I made seal oil, jars and jars of seal oil. And then I went and picked this plant. It's, we call it sura. It's, it has these anti-inflammatory properties to it. So when you're out in the cold, anti-inflammatory is a wonderful thing. So I picked these plants and then I store them in the seal oil so they stay green. They don't decay. They mm-hmm. don't spoil. And so I put them in the seal oil and then that is what I'll use to trade with him for like fish. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then I'll trade with him some of my jarred seal oil with Zura and then he will give me all the fish I want. Join us in the next episode of Beyond the Ball Field, where we will continue to talk to Susan Hope as she explains more about the Nubiate values and how they have impacted her community. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Ball Field, where we are using lessons learned in sports to positively impact our family and others. And for more information of how you can be a positive influence beyond the ball field, go to our website, beyondtheballfield.com.